episode 126 and we got a very special show and it's um rock acts that were on the ed sullivan show and do you realize the first class of rock and roll that was ever played was on the ed sullivan show yeah yeah i mean i wanted to do a show on ed sullivan because i think it's kind of looked over a little bit like how important this guy was uh and also behind the scenes how how important he was um you know, most people don't talk about like Ed Sullivan's personal life and you know his career prior to the show. And I'm going to get into that a little bit because I think it's interesting. Also, um, you know, it, the Ed Sullivan show was was basically, uh, you know, started in 1948. Uh, it was called Toast of the Town originally, and then it became yeah. the Ed Sullivan show in a couple of years. Um, it was an old-fashioned variety show, and that's what it was. It was a variety of different things. Uh, he would have everything from, you know, comedians to vaudeville acts to puppet shows to eventually musical acts and of, of all different stripes, okay? He was a big proponent of, of integration, okay? He had on uh, black artists that, uh, you know, were popular at the time and even not popular at the time, which was, you know, something that would occasionally put him at risk with his sponsors and things like that. And that's the stuff that was kind of behind the scenes that he was doing. But Dude, he had James Brown on his show. He had yeah. Tina Turner, Ike Turner. He had, yeah. he had like, he had the who's who's, you know what? He was like the MTV of that, of that day. Well, remember, there was no internet. There was no MTV. Yeah. Uh, there was very little even like rock and roll musical print, meaning magazines and things like that. So how did people get to see and hear this stuff? It was the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah, you know when the Beatles went on that show, they, they drew 73 million people. <laughs> it's, it's still one of the highest uh, watched shows ever in the history of television. Uh, you know, he... Yeah. And you know he paid sixty uh fifty thousand dollars to have Elvis on the show. Did you know that? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And at Crazy. first he didn't want to have Mont. Yeah. At first he was kinda like, nah, you know, his image doesn't doesn't work with the with the whole <laughs> the wholesome audience that the Ed Sullivan show had. But that would change. Uh, you know, a lot of times he would have to and it wasn't just with Elvis, you know, he would have to kind of eat his own words because these people were too big to ignore. Oh, then we'll go on the rival show and get and beat him the day of the ratings. Yeah, right. Well, he didn't want that, you know. So he was so, like, "Oh, you know." And one thing too, he was always looking for the next big thing to push. He was a yeah. businessman, uh, really. It's not that he was a a big fan of music. I'm sure he had his musical tastes, whatever it was. But you know, it wasn't like he was like, "Oh, I, I love Elvis Presley's music. Let's have him on." No, it was a business decision to help the show. And but what he did by this, because he had good taste, I guess you could say, is, is yeah. he really, you know, he kick started the whole 
rock and roll scene. It spread like wildfire after that Elvis show. And that continued through the 60s until the, the end of the show. And uh, he really, you know, everyone watches the clips and you just see this kind of like stiff, you know, guy with a funny voice kind of like out there introducing the band. Yeah. But, but he, was, he was the show. He, he organized it. He, uh, he figured out the guests. He did all the, uh, you know, he came up with whatever contracts were going to be paid to people. You know, he made those big decisions. He had producers and stuff, but I think the buck stopped with him. Let me ask you a question. Do you see the way that they shot Elvis? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to talk about that. Yeah, I thought we'll, that was we'll, great. We'll, we'll talk about that. There was a and reason I, for that. And are you also going to bring up the Rolling Strong controversy? Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So you have to. All right. So let's get started. Let's talk about uh, the world's greatest um, Ed MC, Sullivan. World, world's Jackson. greatest MC. Mr. Ed Ready Sullivan. MC, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was Mike, born... Before we get started, mm-hmm. did the Dick fight that? Did the Dick Clark show took over like for that? You mean American Bandstand? Yeah, because after that, that was pretty much where a lot of people went. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, American Bandstand, I think, started around 59, something like that, maybe 60. So yeah. it was a couple of years later. But yeah, I mean, it was... A sh- obviously, rock and roll was geared towards teens, teenagers, and the American Bandstand show was, was that, you know, the audience yeah. was full of kids and there were other shows on at the same time as Bandstand that they kind of took that musical aspect of what Ed Sullivan was doing and made a whole hour out of it, you know, yeah. for, their, for their own stuff, you know, but yeah. Um, all right. So uh, Ed Sullivan was born Edward Vincent Sullivan on September 28th, 1901 in Harlem. Okay. Now, he was born in Harlem, but he grew up upstate in Port Chester, New York. He was of Irish descent, and his entire family loved the music. All right, someone was always in the house singing or playing the piano. He, you know, he had a lot of that around him. He also was a gifted athlete, which a lot of people don't know. Wow. Uh, he played football. He played yeah. baseball at Port Chester High School, and he was, he was pretty good. He played basketball, too, I believe. Um, now, between the years 1919 and 1929, after high school, Ed Sullivan had jobs working for various newspaper publications. And in 1929, he became the Broadway columnist for the Daily Mirror. Now, the Daily Mirror was another major New York City paper, like the Daily News, the Times, and the Post. There was an additional one called the Daily Mirror. Uh, he did the, the Broadway column, and you know it was something that was new to him because at the prior newspapers he worked at, he was uh, doing sports mostly. Okay, so it, it, this was a shift. Now, this was like a career change. It oh. was kind of a career change. And, I, you know, it basically happened because uh, uh, the, the, the gossip writer they had, uh, I believe the guy's name is William Winchell, something like that. Uh, he was a major gossip columnist. He, he, he left the paper. And Sullivan took his spot, okay? Now, he started writing a column for the Daily News at this point as well, not too long after that, uh, called Little Old New York. And it was a Broadway show and gossip column. Now, what he did was he had a radio show at the same time that talked about it. So he had this combination of his newspaper column in the Daily News. I think he had left the Daily Mirror 
pretty quickly after after becoming a, a gossip columnist there. But he uh, he would be at the Daily News for a while, and he had this radio show that backed it up. You know, he, he had people could listen to him and they could read read his his writings as well. So in 1933, he wrote and he starred in a movie called Mr. Broadway, which showed the audience kind of all the New York City night spots. It was kind of like a documentary. And it introduced the entertainers and celebrities that could be found in these nightclub spots every night. Uh, He quickly became the major competition for Walter Winchell. I'm sorry, I said William Winchell before. Walter Winchell, Sullivan had taken over his position in the newspaper columns, but pretty soon Ed Sullivan was was overtaking Winchell in his career altogether. Okay. And, you know, he was a major show business gossip guy from years earlier. Uh, he would have his headquarters kind of at the Stork Club, which was a famous nightclub at the time. And what did Ed Sullivan do? He set up his headquarters at the El Morocco, which was kind of like down the street from, <laughs> from there. So, yeah. you know, these two guys were in, in direct competition. Um, eventually, Sullivan, being a younger guy, he would, he would surpass Walter Winchell and eventually be the lead gossip and showbiz guy in New York City, all the while continuing to write for the Daily News as well. So Sullivan, sometimes what he would do at this time in the 30s is he would double uh, as a, uh, a vaudeville MC. So he would have his gossip column and stuff going on, the radio show, uh, but he would promote vaudeville acts uh, at vaudeville stages, you know, wherever they were having these shows. And he would be the MC. Okay. And uh, this went on through the 1930s. Uh, his radio show uh, in 1941 was called the Summer Silver Theater. And he had a band leader on as a co-host at the time named Will Bradley that was very popular. Um, this went on through the war years in 19, the 1940s. Uh, and remember, like most people hadn't really seen Ed Sullivan. They heard his voice. They read his columns. But, like, television wasn't around yet. Okay? So by 1948, he gets his big break. Okay? And CBS television, which was in its infancy, basically, hired Ed Sullivan to host a weekly Sunday night variety show called Toast of the Town. And Toast of the Town would eventually, in a couple of years more Sullivan show. It'd be named. Yes, it did. You know, um, the show was originally broadcast live from the Maxine Elliott theater, which was on West 39th street. But by January of 53, it moved to the CBS TV studios at 1697 Broadway, which is at 53rd street. Now, you know what that's called now, right? Yeah, that's uh, it's called Ed Sullivan Theater. Ed Sullivan Theater. Now, you know, David Letterman uh, recorded from there. Uh, who does it now? Is it is it Stephen Colbert? I think. Yeah, records from there. Yeah. So that's that's been a a well used theater for uh, I guess uh, I guess all CBS. I guess CBS still owns it. I would assume. Uh, it's called Studio Fifty. That's the official name of it. Now, <clears throat> the funny thing is, early on with the show, uh, a lot of critics slammed the show. They didn't like it. Uh, there was something about Sullivan that these early television critics didn't like. Uh, 
I think it was because he was very stiff, kind of looked a little awkward when he, when, he, when, he, when he spoke. He had like a funny kind of dialect. I mean, he was from New York, but he didn't have a New York accent, the traditional one that we all know. Yeah. Uh, people in those days didn't, it's funny. Like if you, if you listen to old movies and the, the way they talk, sometimes they don't always have that New York accent that we all know. It's kind of almost a, almost a, an English accent in a way. You ever, you ever catch that in old movies? You know, yeah. they have like more of a proper kind of sound. I guess that was, you know, education or, or whatever. Um, but he was very like, you know, he didn't say much, you know, he was kind of frumpy looking, you know, he, the way he stood there and almost like cartoonish in a way. If you, if he you remember, very cartoonish. yeah, I mean, if you remember like uh, even the Flintstones, didn't they have like Ed Sully, Sully Stone or something like that? <laughs> Is it yeah. one, one of the, you know, he was spoofed through his whole career and he took it, he took it in stride. There was Ed Sullivan. Uh, even during his lifetime, there were Ed Sullivan impersonators, and he, yeah, you, you know, know how he, I can describe him. He's like Abbott. He needed like a Costello because he was like a front man that would set the guy up with the jokes. Yeah, yeah, he was the straight man without. He was yeah, a but straight he, man, but, yeah. but, he didn't, but he didn't have the the funny guy with him. That's true. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, whenever you did see him smile, which wasn't often, it almost looked like forced. Okay, so <laughs> you know. He, you know, a lot of a lot a lot of the critics panned him for that that kind of uh, you know awkwardness and and mannerisms that he had. They they, they you know, which is kind of like not fair. I mean, it's just how he was. You know, I know. But, but anytime he introduced somebody, he was like, he was saying no excitement. He was like, oh, introducing the Beatles, whatever. You know, the way he, he was doing. He had no he had no emotion. He was like no emotion. Yeah. He was like a fucking robot. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, I know. And and a lot of critics were like, how do you have this guy, you know, as as the main host? He has like no personality at all. Okay, and, and I think and that's the, what made it great. Well, I think what happened was, despite that the audiences really liked them and uh, the show kept getting more and more popular. Um, and, and of course, you know, it's all about the bottom line. So the C CBS saw that he was starting to get very good ratings. Why would you change the host? Yeah. You know, so that, that's really what it came down to. And, and nobody listens to critics anyway, you know? So, yeah. um, Right away, uh, in the very early years, it was it was a different kind of show because he would have on, like I said, comedians, vaudeville acts, puppet shows. Uh, one one favorite was the Topo Gigio, the Italian mouse puppet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which is something you can, you know you could never do anything like that today. No. Okay. You know, but it is funny when you watch some of that stuff. You know, and and it was a different time. Okay. Uh, it was a simpler, mellower time. Uh, people were, I don't know, I guess more, definitely more conservative in their leanings. Uh, it was wholesome kind of fun. There was no, you know, they didn't curse on TV in those days, none of that stuff. But, but when you watch these old shows, it's really amazing because he had something on every Sunday night for somebody. You know, every show he tried to do that. Uh, and even before Elvis and the Beatles episodes, uh, 
he would always try to have, you know, one singing act, one vaudeville act, a comedian, you know, something for everybody. So they had something to watch for that, that hour on a Sunday night before they had to go to work the next day. And it was like must-see television. It, it, you know, it really was. Now, I, I, I wish I had been old enough to see these things because, you know, it, it's just so cool. But in our lifetime, I'm trying to think of, like, what was a, what was a show that was must-see, that was kind of like a variety comedy show? The last one that I could think of that everybody really – I mean, there's shows now that people watch, but – It was The Tonight Show. That, that, yeah, what do you call it? Uh, the Tonight Show, definitely. Letterman, definitely. Um, I think people would, you know, sit around the water cooler the next day and talk about what, what was on Letterman. And what I was thinking of was In Living Color. Mm-hmm. All right. In Living Color was, was a, a comedy skit show kind of based on, I guess you could say, Saturday Night Live. And I guess you could say Saturday Night Live is another one. But, uh, you know, In Living Color, which I think went off the air in the mid-90s, right? Yeah. Um, you know, but we haven't really had that kind of, kind of show in a long time. And, you know, it's just too bad. Maybe, maybe, maybe it would come back. Or maybe I'm just not thinking of one, you know. But uh, that's the last one that I could think no, of. No, but they don't have variety. They don't have variety show, mostly like night show. And maybe like maybe some of the day morning show to try like like if you watch like Kelly and um and, and um Ryan like yeah those are know, more like talk shows yeah. yeah but they introduce people once in a while they have acts like if it's like a yeah current true act. true but um it's not that like the Ed Sullivan show which was totally different but it is talk show but they do have uh, musician yeah the, probably the closest thing you got that to a show almost like that is Saturday Night Live Let I guess. Think. Yeah, and, the and, host and, change all the time. Yeah, and and also, you know, Ed Sullivan became a star maker. If you went on his show, oh, that's it. That's it. That was that was the that was the if you if you were not well known and you went on his show, you became well known. Okay, because of the huge audience every week, probably half the country watched him every week. You know, and those were days when, when not everybody had TVs, too. So that's, and, like, huge. And you know what the thing? Also, you had no VCR, so you had to watch it. That's a good point. Yes, that's true. So you and had to no watch it. So you had to watch it. Like, I don't know how if they did repeats or what the hell it was, but you had to watch it. And, 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 and pretty much, you know what? If you missed it, that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that was, that was it. They didn't really have repeats in, uh, in those years. Um I think towards the end of the Ed Sullivan stretch, okay, the 23 years or so that it was on, I think they did have repeats then. Uh, but it wasn't something that was done on a regular basis like now. Like now you have a, a season for a, a sitcom or something, and then the rest of the time you'll get repeats, right? So, so Mike, they, I, I'm, I'm going to read you something crazy right now. Sure. So they used to average – between twelve to between twelve to fourteen million viewers on a Sunday night. Wow! But when they had Elvis, dude, when they had Elvis, you know how many they had? It's like sixty million or something. They had like sixty. They almost had sixty-one million people watching it. Wow. And then with the Beatles, was the highest one, seventy-three. So these guys are scoring like pretty much like 
Super Bowl numbers sometime. Well, it, you know, we didn't have 350 million people in the country then. We had maybe 200-something. So yeah, it, 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 you're crazy. talking a, thir- almost... a third of the population of the country watching it. That's amazing. It's crazy. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, his show right away was, was multiracial. Okay, I mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Um, and, and Sullivan did that intentionally. He was very against any kind of racial segregation. Uh, and that would sometimes put him at odds with the show's sponsors and the head honchos at CBS as well. Because you remember in the 50s, there was still, you know, segregation going on in the South. These, yeah. these, these companies wanted, you know, CBS wanted the, the Southern demographics to, to watch these shows. So they had to be careful. And uh, terrible, terrible that it was like that. Okay, but, but Ed Sullivan didn't give a shit. He would have people on that he knew uh, were great, but maybe they weren't as well known. Uh, guys that uh, black artists that used to be on all the time were artists like Pearl Bailey, Louis Armstrong and Sammy Davis Jr. But 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 they were like well known in that time. OK, by by white Americans. OK, so it, it wasn't that big a stretch. But then he would occasionally have people on that were really just known in in Harlem or, or other black neighborhoods as R&B guys or, or, or girls, uh, vaudeville acts that were black, people that were just not as well known. Um, some people, would call, names like Peg Leg Bates, Pig, yeah. Meat, Pig Meat Markham, okay, and someone named T- that were not known to whites in America were on the Ed Sullivan show from time to time. And, and, yeah, you but know, he had like Louis Armstrong on the show, uh-huh. like Ellis Fitzgerald. He, Ellis he Fitzgerald, had yeah, yeah. And he in, had like, in the 60s, Everybody. he would bring in James Brown at a, you know, I think Dude, it was 1966. Was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, Brown was, you know, already established at that point, but, but white Americans really didn't know who he was. Dude, he and had you, the Jackson Five, 5 on that show, and that's what made the Jackson Five even bigger. Yeah, yeah, by being on at the same time. But if you watch that, it's amazing how Brown comes out, okay, like he's a king. Yeah. Okay, he's like, yeah. you know, does his whole dance thing, and at the end they they put the robe on him, and oh, that's you know, great. Yeah, you know, but in 1955, and we're going to talk about Elvis here. Um, Elvis got on Ed Sullivan's radar. He became aware of him that that in the South, Elvis was was percolating and becoming popular, but he wasn't sure if this kind of bad boy image that Elvis had was suitable. For the Ed Sullivan show, if, if 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 it would be a you know just not right, okay, so he waited, okay, uh, but he didn't have to wait too long because by August 1956, Elvis was really getting too big to ignore, yeah. okay, so you know he had to invite him on, and he invited him on for three appearances, and like you said, he paid I think fifty thousand dollars, yeah, which was an unheard of amount of money to appear on TV. In those days, it probably was the most at that point. And uh, but uh, an accident would happen because right before his first appearance on the Ed Sullivan show, where Ed was going to introduce him to America, Ed gets into a car accident in oh, near right. his near his country home in Southbury, Connecticut, and he missed the first appearance, um, on, which was actually on September 9th of '56. And uh, you know he had a guest host on for him. Uh, it was actor Charles Lawton, and he 
introduced the first um, appearance of Elvis to the to a national audience. And uh, yeah, I mean, you want to talk about it? Elvis was was filmed from the waist up because yeah. his his shaking of his pelvis, Elvis the pelvis. Okay, yeah, that's he, what uh, <laughs> it was considered. It was considered a little risque. Uh, there was something I think Ed demanded that he be shot from the waist up uh, because, and the quote goes, I saw this on the documentary, the quote goes, when he shakes his legs and his pelvis, you can see his dick. (laughs) So, you know, I I don't know. But uh, Elvis did anyway give a a hip gyrating, you know, performance, but, but nobody could see it except the studio audience that went absolutely apeshit i mean all you hear is the girls screaming which was really one of the first times there was a show like that ever on television all right so um sullivan would get to know elvis though okay i mean after that first appearance he got to know him and by his second and third appearances he he was friends with him and, and he called him a decent fine boy the very first time he introduced him so Elvis was on his way after that, you know, but the Ed Sullivan show would, would book many up and coming rock and roll artists from that point on. Uh, Bo Diddley did two appearances in the mid fifties. His second appearance, however, caused uh, him to catch a little bit of Ed Sullivan's fury. And we'll talk about a few shows after this that, you know, Ed Sullivan was, 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 you know, pissed off at these people. Like, yeah. What happened was, was Bo Diddley had agreed to sing the Tennessee Ernie Ford song, 16 Tons. Okay. Oh, yeah. Which, we talk about this. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We talked about this when we did the Bo Diddley show. Yeah. Okay. Um, he had agreed to do it, but something had happened. And there's different versions of this story. I think Bo told a couple of different versions of it. Uh, one version is that he didn't really want to do the song. And he just did his song called Bo Diddley as kind of like, you know, I'm not going to do somebody else's song. That'll just fall flat. Okay. So he did it anyway. He did the Bo Bo Diddley titled song, Bo Diddley. But then there's also another story he told where the cue cards that he had agreed to do the song, but the cue cards said Bo Diddley and 16 tons. And when he looked at them, he thought that they meant he was going to do two songs, Bo Diddley and 16 Tons. But the Bo Diddley was just his name, and it was, they got confused. So Ed Sullivan, you know, this being live TV, okay? Remember that. It was always live. Yeah. And, and they didn't lip sync. That was one of the great things about the Ed Sullivan show is the, the vocals were always done live, okay? Uh, unless in certain cases later on where people like the Beatles – sent in filmed, you know, performances and things like that, then it would be different. But uh, performances, they were always sung live. It was not, it was not lip synced. Um, Bo Diddley, unfortunately, had a falling out with, with Sullivan after that, and he was never asked back on. Now, uh, a similar thing happened with Buddy Holly and the Crickets in 1957 and 58. Uh, they had their first appearance in 57 and it went very well they had a very enthusiastic response from the audience uh nationally the ratings were fantastic 
and it really helped their career. They, they were really starting out at that point. Uh, but for their second appearance, Ed Sullivan asked them not to sing the song, Oh Boy, okay, which was starting to be a hit. Uh, he found the lyrics to be a little bit too suggestive. Okay. Yeah, what is it with him and that? I, I don't a- know. I, I think he had to, he probably didn't give a shit. Okay, it wasn't his thing. He probably just didn't want to hear it from the sponsors and the, and the, the executives, okay, who you might be worried about something like that. What's that? So that's what it was, right? It must have been a sponsor. That I, I, I th- well, he would have problems with Ford. Ford Cars, Ford Company, was a big sponsor of the Ed Sullivan Show, and it was something that I think he, he cultivated and made happen, okay? I think he got them as a sponsor, and it was a big deal. And, um, but, you know, the, there's, there's stories about Henry Ford and racism and things like that and the organization, you know, the, the company having a, a sketchy past when it comes to things like that, okay? And uh, they, they, would, they would complain when he had too many black artists on. And there was, there was uh, an incident, uh, I think, he had Mr. Bojangles on, which was a famous black artist back in the 50s. And yeah. uh, he was at some, uh, Ed Sullivan was at some place, I think in Vegas, and, one, and he was talking to one of the sponsors from Ford, and they were having a conversation, and you know, the guy said something to him like, oh, I know you have to have a lot of black artists on, but do you have to put your arm around Mr. Bojangles after he's done with the show? And, and like, apparently like Sullivan went to clock him. <laughs> okay. And had to be pulled back. Okay. You know, he had a bad temper at Sullivan. He did. Uh, some people became the, the victims of that. Uh, he had no problem ripping you a new asshole. If he, if he was mad at you, of course it wouldn't be on the show. It would be later. Okay. Yeah. And he was, and he was also a little bit vindictive which I'm going to talk about right here because getting back to Buddy Holly, when, he, when they came on the second time and, and, and Sullivan said, would you not do, oh boy, would you do a different song? Uh, they were, as well, our friends back in Texas, they were from Lubbock, Texas, okay, expected to hear the song. So Sullivan, who was the kind of guy who didn't really like to have to say things twice, Basically, his his orders were were gold and you had to follow them. And he wasn't used to anybody questioning him. He just repeated it. He said, no, I need you to, you know, do it, you know, do a different song. So they kind of like agreed. And then when it became rehearsal time before the live show, they were very slow in getting to the stage. And Ed Sullivan, who was all business, said something in the microphone to everybody. Uh, Oh, it looks like the crickets are not too excited to be on the Ed Sullivan show. So Buddy Holly yelled back, who was still pissed off about the old boy thing, um, yelled back, well, I hope they're, they're damn more excited than I am. Okay, so meaning his, the rest of his band. But Sullivan, who heard that, retaliated. And on the live show, he cut them down from two songs to just one. Wow. Okay. And he also mispronounced Buddy Holly's name on purpose, okay, at the introduction. And he had the, the sound people 
turn the volume down on his guitar, except when he was about to do a guitar solo. So you, you couldn't really hear his guitar too good. Okay? Wow. Yeah. So nevertheless, the band was very well received and, and, and became even bigger for being on the Ed Sullivan show. No one cared about or even noticed those little things. And, and Ed was, was forced to invite them back. So he did. He invited them back. But Buddy Holly responded by saying, Sullivan doesn't have enough money to have us back. And they never went back on. Wow. Yeah. And sadly, he would, he would, he would die not too long after that, uh, Buddy Holly. But looking at the, the old clips of that last performance, you see, I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's like the song ends. I forget what song they did. Maybe one of our listeners would remember. And it might have been like Peggy Sue or That'll Be the Day, maybe. Might have been That'll, That'll be, the, be day. the Day that I die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might have been that. And when the song is over, like Holly has like a look on his face, like he's annoyed, and he shakes Ed Sullivan's hand, but he doesn't look at him. And, and Sullivan's like has like a mad look on his face, and then it just cuts out. So it is kind of captured there, you know, what happened. So Time would go on, okay, and by the early 60s, Ed Sullivan was looking for the next big thing, okay, to have on the show. And he happened to be traveling, I believe, with his wife in the UK. And while he was in London's Heathrow Airport, he witnessed uh, Beatlemania, okay, really firsthand. Uh, the Beatles had arrived from, a, from an airplane that was from Sweden. They had just done a tour there. And they had arrived back in London and to screaming fans at the airport. He had never seen anything like this. And at first, he, you know, he asked about them. And, he, you know, there was, there was people that, that knew about the Beatles, how they, how they were creating a, you know, a big firestorm on the other side of the pond in, in England. And, uh, but they, they had no records here. Okay. There was actually a, uh, a record company problem that prevented their stuff to being released here at first, just in the first few months of them releasing things. So yeah, the Beatles, right? The Beatles I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, they right? had a problem, yeah. Yeah, at the beginning. And uh, he was reluctant to have them on. He thought it might be a good idea, but they didn't have any records released in America. But his friend, who was the legendary music promoter Sid Bernstein, convinced him to book the band. He said, no, you got to have these guys on. And I think Sullivan knew, like, by having them on, he'll make, you know, he was the kingmaker. You know what I mean? He would have them on, and they would be after that. So he invited them on, and the date was February 64. Still talked about today. Every year, you, you, you know, you hear the anniversary of this. And that was the date that the Beatles were scheduled to perform on the Ed Sullivan Show. And it was hyped wow. like crazy. And all of the New York City papers had stuff every day about the Beatles probably for two weeks before that, that date. Uh, the New York Post, I've seen some of these old newspapers, and, and, and the New York Post, I think in the top left or right corner of the, of the paper, had a, a little beetle bug. Okay, it was a bug. And uh, it said every day it was like, okay, 10 days left, nine days left, eight days left, the Beatles are coming. Okay. And uh, everybody was like, you know, if you didn't know, people kind of knew, had heard about the Beatles a little bit. But if you hadn't at that point, you'd be like, who, who the hell are the Beatles? You know what I mean? I, what's all this hype about? But the Beatles performance that Sunday night 
was uh, at that point the most watched program on TV ever. Yep. yep. Ever. Okay. And it's still like in the top five. All right. Uh, watched moments in TV history. But the Beatles um, appeared, appeared three more times after that in person and on the show. And then later on, they would also occasionally send like film performances. Okay. That would be pretty much through their whole career. Um, now, what, what, what are some other huge watch things? I, I, would, I would think. You want to hear the funny thing? He had a problem with Jackie Mason. Yes, he did. He had a problem with Jackie Mason, uh, the comedian. It's incredible. The guy had a little problem. <laughs> yeah, there was. I, I, I don't remember the whole story, but it looked like during the live show that Jackie kind of called him out. Like, yeah. I think he was trying to cut his time and tell him to get off the stage earlier. And it looked like he gave him the finger. Okay. Yeah, like, they call him Mason, Mason, it, it, he made a gesture that it looked like he gave Ed Sullivan the finger on live TV. And I think, I don't think he was ever asked back on. Oh, that. no, but he fucking, you know how far it went? That Ed Sullivan broke the contract that he had and fucking Jackie made it. Jackie sued him and won. And then Ed Sullivan had to apologize to him publicly. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I think, I, yeah, okay, I did forget it that. It went aspect. that far, yeah. Mike. This wow. is a bunch of, yeah. So he had a feud going with Ed Sullivan. He wow. had a okay. feud with yeah, Ed Sullivan. I mean, Ed Sullivan had to come and publicly apologize to two years later, which yeah, was crazy. The, the, the guy, the guy was, and he appeared in the, the ass. five more shows. Yeah. Okay. So he did return back. Okay. After yeah. That. But I think it was, you know, it, it looked like he gave he gave Ed Sullivan the finger. Yeah. You know, <laughs> whatever. Okay. Jackie Mason's funny. Right? Yeah. But but uh. Uh, one thing, too, that people used to notice, and I think it was through the 60s, uh, is, is Ed Sullivan was very forgetful. And he would kind of, like, forget people's names, okay, even when he was about to introduce them. And he kind of winged it, okay, like a Mo, Mo from the Three Stooges, okay, Mo. Uh, was annoyed one time because he introduced the Three Stooges as the Ritz Brothers, which were a different, <laughs> totally different act. Okay, and and he kind of twisted it like, oh, the, you know, he, he goes the Ritz Brothers, and then he's like, oh no, but they remind me of the Ritz Brothers. This is the Three Stooges. Like he blew it, you know, when he introduced <laughs> it, you know. And Diana Ross was a uh, was uh, with the Supremes was on several times. And she was yeah. very, very, very fond of Ed Sullivan. They got along very well. But do you was, anything of, you know anything about what happened with Bob Dylan? Yeah, I'll go into that in a second. But but with uh, with Diana Ross, she would complain that he could never remember her name or the other two Supremes. <laughs> he used to just call them the girls. He would call them the girls. Okay. So yes, Bob Dylan. Uh, I think he 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 didn't go on the show, right? Yeah, Bob did pretty because, much because the because there was that the that right there was a song that that he was going to do, uh, uh, what's that song called? John John Birch Blues. Yeah, okay. talking John Birch Blues. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's a, John Birch. For people who don't know, the John Birch Society is a very conservative society. It's a group that you talk politics and things like that, and it's been around since 
at, right after World War II, I think it got started, early 50s, something like that. And uh, he wrote this song kind of bashing the John Birch Society. Yeah. And Sullivan was... He, 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 was, he was very liberal when it came to uh, relations with each other, okay, race relations and things like that. He, uh, you know, he believed that everything should be integrated, as it should be, okay? But one thing in the 50s and early 60s, we, there was a big fear of communism, okay? And there were a lot of people accused of co- being communists when they really weren't, and, and, and though some were. And they were still accused, but you know, there's a whole thing with that. Uh, <coughs> Senator Joe McCarthy and all that stuff. But but Bob Dylan was going to perform this song called uh, "Talking John Birch Blues," and Sullivan didn't want to do it. And I think it goes that Dylan just refused to go on, right? Yeah, he just left, and uh, yeah. you know, well, Sullivan actually respect him for that. I know. So Sullivan actually respect Dylan for walking away. He, he he! What did he do? He sued him? No, he walked away. No, uh, Ed Sullivan respected Bob Dylan for just walking away. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think he did, did. Did Dylan ever do the Ed Sullivan show? I don't think so. No, he just never did. He just walked away. He left yeah. the studio and rather than alternate the act with Sullivan, respecting his decision, yeah, he just right. left. Ne- right, never right. went back. Right. Well, okay. I mean, Bob Dylan had bigger things to do, I'm sure. But uh, another band that was on many times was the Dave Clark five. Um, They kind of had a little bit of a cleaner image than the Beatles. Uh, They're they're a band we're going to do a show on soon. I think Um, very interesting because at that time, you know, the Beatles were on top, but, but the Dave Clark five with their hits, they were right underneath them. They were right on their ass. Okay. They could have been as big as the Beatles. Um, they made actually 13 appearances on the show, which was more than any other UK group at the time. Okay. Now, after the Beatles, of course, the Rolling Stones came and they would be quick to follow in those footsteps. They did a total of six performances on the Ed Sullivan show. And it's probably the fifth appearance in 1967. That's the most infamous. Okay. Because Ed Sullivan had them on. And they were having a hit with the song, Let's Spend the Night Together. Yep. And he told Mick Jagger not to sing that. He said, please say the words, let's spend some time together. Okay. Now, you know, let's spend the night together. Let's spend some time together. I don't think there's much of a difference. It means the same shit. It means the same shit. Like, you know, there is a sexual innuendo to either either one of those. Yeah. Okay. So, but Jagger kind of capitulated. He said, okay. But what he did was, he, <laughs> I mean, the, he knew that the, the camera was going to be right on him. Okay. And when he, when he gets to that lyric, the camera is like right on him. And he says, let's spend some time together. But he, he rolls his eyes in what's probably the biggest eye roll ever on television. Yeah. Okay. And he emphasized the word time. Like he kind of stretched it out a little bit. Okay. And Sullivan knew what he was doing. You know, he was mocking him and he was pissed. And, uh, but you know, the stones were too big to ignore. You couldn't ban the rolling stones. Nah. So they ended up doing one more 
appearance in 1969. Okay, they were they, but I think, you know, I think Ed Sullivan gave uh, gave Jagger probably a piece of his mind. I'm sure. Okay, now also in 1967, the Doors were invited on to sing, and they were going to sing their hit off their self-titled debut album, and that song was "Light My Fire." All right, now you have that lyric in there. Girl, we couldn't get much higher. And Sullivan felt it was a drug reference. And it was, okay? But they didn't want the, the powers that be, uh, the producer of the show, um, the guy's name was uh, Bruce, uh, Bob Precht. I'm sorry, Bob Precht. Uh, he didn't want Morrison to sing that. And he had asked him, uh, can you say, girl, we couldn't get much better? So when the band was asked that, just nodded their heads in agreement. But they didn't, you know, they, they, they were going to do what they wanted to do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and in one of the biggest moments on that show where somebody gave the, you know, the big F you to Ed Sullivan is uh, he, they sang it. Uh, Morrison sang it. He sang the higher lyric. He said, girl, we couldn't get much higher. And he actually emphasized higher when he said it, okay? So <clears throat> after the show, producer Bob Precht told the band that they had been booked for a total of six shows after that, okay? But they were now never going to work the Ed Sullivan show again. They were permanently banned. And Morrison supposedly said to them, hey, man, you know, we just did the Ed Sullivan show. They're like, who cares? Okay? Yeah. So, <clears throat> um, by 71, the country's tastes were changing. Uh, CBS were, was canceling a lot of shows that ratings weren't so good. Well, uh, Mike, sh- before you get off that, how come the, um, you know, we're talking about it, how come the uh, Supreme, the Adam Rose and the Supreme were able to sing Love Child? How come they could, the, how come they could think- do it? I think they did the Love Child. Really yeah, they did. And they did. And she actually had a, a shirt made up that she was wearing that said love child on it. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, that's, that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I think she was maybe just close with what Ed Sullivan and he let her do it. It's not really, I don't know. I mean, music was getting a little more socially conscious at that time. And, and the Supremes, that whole love child album. Okay. Is, is about, race relations and it's yeah. about you know it's about socially conscious things very good album uh that the, the, that's the, the album cover is great she's got like uh they're in like an, an alley next to a tenement like you'd see you know behind a building and and you know two girls are there they're just very sexy diana ross looks very sexy in these short shorts and she's leaning up against the wall a very different kind of look for them they were getting oh, yes, more it is. getting more socially <laughs> conscious you know what i'm talking about right i know what you're talking about yeah i'm all fired up mike <laughs> <laughs> well it's early you know maybe you got some morning wood you know <laughs> <laughs> so like i was saying the, the world was changing by 1971 and cbs was was canceling a lot of shows that were kind of wholesome going for more of a gritty you know, by 71, 72, you had shows like The Mod Squad, Kojak, you know, gritty kind of things like that were becoming popular. 
and the more wholesome stuff like the Andy Griffith kind. Yeah. Canceled. Okay. And uh, they was Police they... Woman around that time? Yes. Yes. Right. Angie Dickinson. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She was a hottie too. Um, mm. Now. Sullivan got pissed off that his show got canceled. Uh, the ratings were, were in the tank. Nobody was watching anymore by 71. And uh, they canceled the show. He was pissed off, and he was so mad that he refused to do the last three months of programming. Wow. Okay, he just refused to host the show. And so what they did was they, they canceled the shows, and they did put reruns up, okay, for the last three months. But they did plan a final goodbye show, but he refused to host it. So the whole, the very last show of the Ed Sullivan show, which was a goodbye show, Ed Sullivan wasn't on it. Wow. So kind of a shitty way to go out, but yeah. he was like that. He could, he could hold a grudge that guy. Okay. So, however, he did return two years later in 1973 when they had a 25th anniversary special. The show started in 48 to 73 was 25 years. So they brought back Ed and went all the, you know, famous moments during those 25 years. Uh, Sadly, in early 1974, Sullivan was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. And his wife of 43 years, Sylvia, and his family didn't tell him that he had it. Wow. Uh, He would suffer from uh, ulcers. He had a bad problem with that. And basically, they, you know, he got checked out for some ulcers and they found this esophageal cancer. And the family decided not to tell him, I guess, so he could enjoy the few months that he had left to live. He really didn't have a long time to live. Uh, and he just thought he was suffering from, from the ulcers. Okay. But on October 13th, 1974, he would pass away in Lenox Hill Hospital in New York City. And that was two weeks after his 73rd birthday. He made it to 73. Wow. Um, His funeral was attended by over 3,000 people at St. Patrick's Cathedral. Okay. And it was a cold and rainy October day. But over 3,000 people showed up to say goodbye to him. A lot of celebrities were there, um, you know, to, to say their goodbyes. I mean, a lot of people owed their careers to Ed Sullivan. Yeah, definitely. All right. So... That's all I got for you today. Um, uh, you know, I, I wanted to do this because I think people have to recognize what, what the importance of Ed Sullivan, not just as this guy who hosted the show, but he really was important in getting people. He might have been a very good businessman. He was very business-minded, but he still made it possible for people to see this kind of stuff in a, in a day and age when you couldn't. I mean, you know, there was no internet, there was no cable TV, there was none of that, not a lot of music publications or anything else. It just was a time when people, uh, there was only three channels basically, and, you know, people relied on Ed Sullivan to see the latest thing. What, what was the latest thing? Well, yeah, he was much TV. He was he like, was you know what? TV. He was like MTV. This is where you're going to see the even, hottest even, act. Well, you know, MTV even more so because MTV came at a time when there was, you know, a hundred channels you could choose from, and uh, it, it, it was a, it was it you know it it exposed a lot of people too. Eventually, in time, it became very powerful, uh, and then totally became shit. 
Okay, yeah. we could do a show about that one day. But but uh, Ed Sullivan consistently for twenty five, you know, was a kingmaker and really could put you on the map nationally. You might be popular in Brooklyn, and you do a you do a show on Ed Sullivan, and next thing you know, people in Texas are, are fans, and people in California are fans because he had that national audience. Yeah, because you go nationwide. He was nationwide. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's it for today, Mr. Rossi. Wow, man. What an excellent episode, man, of uh, Ed Sutterman, man. Uh, you pulled this one out. Um, Mike, I wonder, before you go off there, I was thinking we might have to even do like a Supreme show, even a Jackson 5 show one day. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd like to do that. Uh, maybe uh, maybe do like a uh, Next Black History Month, which is only six months away. Okay, uh, we, we, we could do like a whole, you know, two part maybe episode on the Motown bands. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've talked about the Temptations. Yeah. Okay. And, and uh, we've danced around some other artists like Marvin, you know, Marvin Gaye. Okay. Was, of course, a Motown artist. Did we do an episode about Barry Gorey? Not him specifically, no. But we could talk about that. We could do, say, a two part where we'll talk about him, how he got the, the label started. We could talk about the artists, maybe some of the lesser-known artists. Um, and and uh, how many yeah, artists that, that was, fucked? Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and the biblical way, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. So great job, like always. And um, how can we find you? Okay, I'm out there on social media, of course. Uh, you could find me under RockerMike212 on Instagram, RockerMike212. You could find me on CloutHub and MeWe. These are two social media sites that are just starting out under RockerMike on both of them, CloutHub and MeWe under RockerMike. I'm, I'm not on Twitter anymore. I've been banned like number 45. Um, but... I'm uh, on Facebook under Rocco Mike. Yeah. Celebrating my mother's side of the family. Rocco Mike. And also you can find me on the Rock Show podcast group page on Facebook. Uh, we've been getting a lot more membership on that of late. I've been doing some inroads and getting more people to join that group. Uh, every day I've got a song of the day. I've got a song of the night. I talk about what's coming up on the rock show. People post different songs, music. We talk about it. We always have a pretty good discussion going. It's about a dozen or so people that really contribute very well. Um, how about you, Mr. Rossi? Where can we find you? And you can find me on anything Getty Lumped Up. Getty Lumped Up at um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and on YouTube. And um, we've been putting a lot of stuff up on YouTube. Do you know how many videos we got up on YouTube, Mike? Take a guess. I think it's over 300. Yeah, we got 356 videos. I, I, and there's still like a bunch of stuff that ha I haven't even pulled up. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've been doing this now for two and a half years, man. Yeah, two years. I was looking at the stuff. I saw the day when it's actually two years, a little over two years, maybe two and a half, but it's amazing. Because me and John started doing then you came already when we were doing it, so... Yeah, you were doing it for a couple of months already, right? 2018. Yeah, like two, three months, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, man, think, think of the journey, and we're getting and we're getting that steady momentum. We're getting more popular and popular. Um, 
Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's all thanks to the people who listen. Um, I enjoy very much doing these shows, whether it's the conspiracy show or this show or doing the interviews on the Rocker Mike and Rob Presents. Um, you know, it's all about, it's all about the listeners. And, and we, we, we have a nice, solid fan base building up right now. And I appreciate it. That's all I could say. And uh, guys, if you want a sponsor to our show, if you want to be a sponsor, we're starting to take sponsor now. It's something that uh, we can put you in, and we're reaching over uh, 150,000 people. Uh, so if you want to sponsor the show, send us, send me an email at um, robrossi at gettinglumpedup.com, and uh, we'll talk about what kind of uh, deal we can do, and uh, we'll give you a pretty good price to advertise. We're not going to you we're heavy we're not gonna, yeah we're not gonna hit you over the head but it but you know we'll definitely do some commercials and promoting of whatever you have whether it's a business or a website or you know anything you got going you know we'll, we'll be happy to take you on as a sponsor yeah we will put the links in the description yep. on our youtube channel on a, and on everything that we do we'll put the link to your to how people yeah. can find you and we're worldwide. We've been doing good in overseas, uh, Sweden, Australia, Japan. Uh, New Zealand, yeah. Japan. I mean, <laughs> we've been. To, I can't. It's hard to believe, you know. But we've been top forty in those places. Yeah, you know, they're listening to our stupid asses. <laughs> yeah. So all right, like every show ends. Don't get drunk. I mean, get yeah. <laughs> Don't get drunk. Get lumped get up. Get lumped up, people. That's the motto. It's sort of in there for you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Take care, Rob. Take care, Peter. Have a good one. Let's get lumped up on the rock show.